Bob? Peter. You there? Okay, we're ready. So no. I'll patch us in. Real good. Hello, everyone. We're back, and the session is now being recorded. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is the Ontolog Forum, and it's May 12, 2005. Uh, we have today the honor of inviting uh, uh, Dr. Mark Greaves from DARPER to present to us. Uh, this topic is entitled Future of Semantic Web Technology at DARPER. And DARPER is the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Uh, Dr. Greaves uh, is the program manager uh, for the Information Exploitation Office and for the demo and ultralock projects. He was previously program manager for DARPA's Advanced Logistics Project. At DARPA, he is sponsoring research on logistics and supply chain control technologies, formal ontology specification, semantic web technology, and the application of software agent uh, technology to problems of distributed control of complex systems of systems. Prior to coming to Docker, he led advanced programs in software agent technology at the Mathematics and Computing Technology Group of Boeing's Phantom Works Division. Uh, his main research interests are in mathematical logic and software agent technology, about which he has published two books and over 20 papers. Uh, Mark holds a PhD from Stanford University and uh, it's all yours, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Uh, it's quite a humbling experience to hear your bio spoken aloud. I think I'm going to go make some re make some revisions on it. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Well, uh, thanks for coming out, and and thank you, Peter, for inviting me to give this talk. Um, Brand, and it's always great to, I guess, virtually see you again. And I'd also like to. Uh, uh, extend a sort of special hello to uh, my colleagues in the Department of Defense uh, from the Army. Uh, there's a fair number of Army-oriented pilots which the DAML program has sponsored, about which I'm not going to talk about now, but uh, maybe we can get in contact with offline. Um, okay, let's see. So does everybody have the slides? Okay, slide one is just this, uh, uh, I, because I'm not going to be able to control the slides, because I'm speaking from DARPA and we have a firewall issue at DARPA, um, I'm going to uh, sort of announce each slide as it goes and have Peter control the, the slides themselves. Um, Peter, one thing, I, I have this tremendous echo in my ear. Uh, my, my conversation is coming back in my ear about half a second delayed. Um, maybe I can, I'm sorry, this is why I'm getting kind of confused in talking. Maybe I can uh, hang up the phone and call back? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to give that a try and see if I can get rid of this Actually, echo. Actually, you, you, you come out very clear at my end, and I'm sure they'll probably do well in the recording. But let's try again. Yes. It's, uh, it's just quite confusing to speak this way. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and hang up and dial the phone one more time, and uh, if if I can't get this echo gone, we'll just 
I'll just plug my ear and 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 pull forward. Uh, so uh, one second. Okay. Yeah, I have the same echo, Peter. So I, perhaps it's some of the channels are screwed up. Right. So uh, again, as Kurt had suggested, will everybody please uh, mute your phone if you are not speaking, and particularly uh, don't put your phone on hold because every now and then uh, phones put music onto the line. Okay, let's see how this works. Ah, it's still there. All right, well, I'm just going to uh, shift this earpiece away from my ear and kind of bull through the talk. If, uh, so my, my policy about questions during the talk is that if there are questions, uh, you know, go ahead and say them right now. My slides are sort of purposefully vague uh, because they're uh, an officially sanctioned DARPA product. Uh, and so they don't have a lot of detail. I can go into detail um, as necessary about different projects or different pieces of this uh, of this presentation. So, uh, so as I say, if you got questions, um, please bring them out. Okay. So this this presentation uh, is really about the DAML program, which is DARPA's. Uh, 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 flagship program on the semantic web. And I think it's the, the single uh, government-funded effort which has brought together all of the research in, in uh, ontology specification and uh, formal knowledge representation and a couple of other disciplines, uh, web disciplines and so forth, uh, in order to give us uh, a unified product which, that, which was OWL and bring it through the W3. So on the initial slide, you can see we actually started in June 2000. Uh, the program was uh, kicked off by Dr. Jim Hendler, a name which I think is probably familiar to most of you. He was the initial program manager. Um, uh, then there was a, an intermediate program manager to uh, bring the uh, the program through its somewhat difficult uh, second phase. And I started as program manager uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, our major milestones included uh, February 2004, the acceptance of OWL as a web standard, that is, as a what they call a recommendation, uh, by the W3, um, as well as a couple of things that happened in December 2004. You'll notice that uh, the final milestone is uh, program complete in May 2005, and uh, this is this is true. Uh, there's still a little bit of money being spent by. Uh, counted them up the other day. There are seven contractors still active on the demo program, but they're all winding down. Um, so the program is almost complete now from DARPA's point of view. Okay, next chart. Uh, this is chart uh, slide one, what is DARPA? Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the agency, DARPA is uh, an agency of the United States Department of Defense. Uh, stands for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. A uh, little bit of history. We were established in uh, 1958 really as the first um, Department of Defense organizational response to Sputnik. And if you uh, were alive at that time, or unlike me, if, or, or if you read books about that time, uh, you'll know that this was just a, a sort of a tremendous shock to the system, that, uh, that the Russians could actually be orbiting something over our heads and to, give a, and to produce such a leapfrog in technology. We had nothing like that. And so DARPA was chartered as an organization of the US DOD to pursue high risk and high payoff basic and applied research. Uh, for those of you who are interested in the, uh, what I'll call the boxology of DOD, or the, at least the organizational uh, part of DOD, we're underneath the, uh, 
the branch of DOD called Acquisition Technology and Logistics under the Director of Defense Research and Engineering. Um, we are we coordinate with the service labs, uh, the Army Research Lab, the Air Force Research Lab, and the Office of Naval Research, but we're independent of them. And uh, we try and do programs that are complementary to the ones which they do. They tend to be a little less on the high-risk trade-off of, of research spectrum. Uh, we've done a lot of great stuff. Uh, of course, uh, ARPANET is, the, is kind of the flagship um, program. Uh, it's the one which, you, which we always trot out when we try and justify our existence in front of Congress. But there's also a lot of other uh, uh, less well-known things that we've done, GPS. Um, all the early stealth technology was done here. Uh, most of the unmanned aircraft were done here. We've been a huge funder of early uh, artificial intelligence. Um, nanotechnology and biology are our big uh, thrusts right now. Uh, we spend about $3 billion a year, and of that money, uh, probably two point, I've, these numbers are notional, but uh, probably $2.99 billion actually goes out the door to researchers like the people in this community. Uh, DARPA itself is a single office building in Arlington, Virginia, with about, uh, I don't know, 200 staff or so, but no dedicated labs. Uh, nothing that would actually prevent us from starting or stopping on a dime, and so we uh, and so we take most of that budget and send it out, and that puts us as one of the top three funders of uh, research in the United States. You can see more at www.darpa.mil. That's where you find uh, the official description of the agency, plus all of the active solicitations for new programs. Um, they'll be there as opposed to, uh, or pardon me, in addition to. Um, uh, their official publication on the FedBizOps website. Okay, next chart. Curiosity, uh, who are the other top, the two top three funders? Uh, the NSF and the NIH. Thanks. Um, so, uh, so the next chart, chart two, is just a dump of um, what happened when I Googled the word DARPA. And I used this chart when I briefed the director. Uh, this was as of Halloween of 2004. It's uh, true up until the, um, it, it's essentially the same right now. Uh, you can go ahead and try it. Um, if you understand the DARPA page rank algorithm, you know that what they essentially do is a keyword search, right, across all their cached pages to find those pages which mention the word DARPA. And then their relevancy ranking has to do with a particular kind of algorithm which they run on, U on the URLs, that is, on the links which are, pardon me, the hyperlinks which are embedded in documents to find out which are the most pointed to documents. And so this is a way of people voting with their links to, to tell you what is the most relevant or most important page associated with those keywords. And so I show this to the director of DARPA, and I said, look, this is how, this is some evidence of how people perceive your agency. They, of course, know about the DARPA homepage. They uh, look at the DARPA Grand Challenge. That's our robotic race through the desert. It's got a, a lot of press recently. But the, the next thing which they look at is the homepage for the DAML program. And uh, what that says is that the way people perceive DARPA, at least in the world of the web, uh, is tightly linked to the semantic web. And that's one of my success criteria, is bringing that out. So I think that's, uh, that's pretty fantastic. And uh, uh, this is one of the things that, that the director appreciates, is that in this way he can see in a nice, uh, uh, actually quantifiable way, 
the impact that his investments are having. Okay, uh, slide three. It's entitled DAML Program Summary. This is my DAML in one chart uh, program. And the reason I put it in there, in here for this audience is that I want to be able to show you uh, how at least we perceive the DAML program inside DARPA. DAML has done a lot of things, and a lot of people have taken this technology and run it in a lot of different ways. So it's important to go back and, and look at how it was that, that DAML was justified inside DARPA. Um, uh, I'll, I'll talk about this towards the end of the presentation as I go over uh, sort of the structure of DARPA programs. But, uh, but to a first approximation, DARPA programs start with three um, uh, elements. One is a problem, typically a military problem, that we're trying to solve. Uh, one is a technology solution. And the final element is a programmatic approach. And when you can combine all three, all three of these in a nice, unified, mutually reinforcing way, uh, you can get to a DARPA program. So the, the problem was really, uh, and this is back in 2000, uh, that uh, we had all these web pages going out there and this exponential growth characteristic on the web, but we couldn't uh, get machines to process them very well, process these web pages very well. Uh, we were, at the time, busy funding the construction of things like screen scrapers and uh, uh, all manner of different kinds of programs to try and extract data from the web and put it into some kind of machine processable form. And we just weren't getting anywhere. We'd spent a, a great deal of money on this. And so DAML was a, a program to try and address the, um, uh, the sort of source of this by essentially creating a parallel web. That is, creating something which came to be called the semantic web, uh, which instead of being uh, sort of like the existing web, traditional markup languages like HTML and XML, uh, with uh, link protocols like HTTP, we were going to build another web with a new language, which at the time we called DAML, and then we called DAML plus OIL, and now we call OWL, um, uh, which would have the same, which would use the same kind of web protocols, that is HTTP, to cross-link to each other. <coughs> so we, we, the idea was we're going to actually go out there and build a, a parallel web that was an augmentation of the current web to allow or to add the kind of knowledge which machines would need to be able to process the existing web pages. Technically, what we were going to be doing was extending RDF uh, with a, uh, a, a classification logic called, a specific kind of classification logic called description logic in order to enable reasoning. We were going to try and build on this enormous history of frame-based language design and AI to try and make sure that our language definitions were right and, uh, or at least were uh, uh, coherent with current thought. And, and, you know, sort of in the grand DARPA tradition of hyperbole, we were going to try and create the world's first fully distributed web-scale knowledge base out of networks of hyperlinked facts and data. That is, we were going to try and turn the web into a knowledge base. And if you think about where AI was in the 2000, um, this was a pretty radical idea, right? If you, if you, AI had focused, at least expert systems and knowledge bases, had focused on building and carefully crafting these kinds of uh, uh, what I think of as perfect crystals of knowledge that typically existed in one computer or a very small number of quite reliable uh, computers with high-speed interconnects between them. That uh, over which you could run theorem provers and uh, uh, didn't contain mistakes, 
uh, things of this nature. And the web was completely opposite all of that. For every fact on the web, you could find its opposite. Uh, the, there's, there's no interesting sense over which you you could run a theorem prover over information on the web because you're never quite sure what uh, what your uh, uh, theoretical base is, what your what your theorem base is to start with. Uh, pages go up and down. We've got 404 kinds of errors on the web, um, and so this really didn't look like a traditional knowledge base. And so this was the the uh, the kind of radical way we were thinking about it. Um, programmatically, you in order to implement that solution, you had at least five things we had to do. One is we had to design a whole new family of web languages, uh, starting with OWL, but also including reasoning languages, uh, of which the, I guess the, the most mature one to come out of the program right now is a language called Swirl, the semantic web rule language, uh, but also including uh, at least some preliminary work on OWLP, which was a, a proof language to uh, to, to exchange uh, chains of reasoning, and some work on trust, uh, which we'll call LT, um, as well as and as well as trying to e extend the reach of our semantic representation language away from from more static data, and try and start to describe things like processes. Um, and I, I noticed there was somebody from NIST on the phone, so one of the things we started to do was look at things like PSL to. Uh, 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 as a as a mathematical foundation upon which to build a semantic description of process that was uh, uh, both representationally adequate and tractably uh, uh, and and able to to tractably um, uh, get inferences out of. So okay, so that was that's the scientific task which drove the program. Um, it actually turns out that this task uh, is I don't I don't want to offend all the the researchers who put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in this. But from my view, that task isn't that hard. Uh, you, you know, you can put a lot of smart people in a room. You can get a new family of web languages out, actually not without, without so much difficulty. The hard part is getting somebody to adopt these languages, that is, making these languages global. And in order to do that, we had to build uh, programmatically a number of different other things. So we had to build a lot of definition and markup tools so that people could actually use these languages. We had to build some sample semantic webs and see how they worked. We wanted to test the design approach uh, with all kinds of uh, use cases, both things like semantic query, which is kind of at the, at the low end of our use cases, all the way up to some quite sophisticated use cases, uh, which involve um, tasks which analysts in our nation's intelligence community use. And finally, we wanted to get all of this stuff uh, standardized through the World Wide Web Consortium. So, so that was the, the unified programmatic approach of the demo program. OK, next chart. Uh, this is uh, chart four. It's entitled Program Elements. So uh, this sort of recapitulates what I said. Um, I guess the one thing which I'll, I'll point to is that we ended up having to build a technical flow off of this, too, because many of these program elements ended up being inter, uh, pardon me, interdependent on each other. So we, wanted, we had to get the, the core language in place first. That's the Web Ontology Language, or OWL. Um, this has completed the standards process. Based on this, we were able to go in two directions. One to OWLS, which is uh, essentially our um, uh, stab at semantic web services. 
that is adding a semantic layer on top of the existing web services infrastructure in order to do things like dynamically weave together web services with uh, some kind of uh, defined or at least predictable quality of service guarantees for the uh, ensemble that is woven together, um, as well as work on rules and proof. And it, as it turns out, rules are actually important for semantic web services as well because you typically want to use things like rule languages to, to link inputs, outputs, preconditions, and effects. And out of that comes trust. And so I've been, uh, so I've tried to uh, capture with colors um, the, uh, the relative maturity of, of all of this stuff. And this slide is from uh, November of last year, but I think it is, uh, at least in colors, still quite accurate. Um, okay, uh, so chart five, 2004 technology progress. Uh, so I, I haven't really updated this chart, but uh, uh, essentially now that we're midway through 2005, calendar year 2005, um, uh, the answer is uh, the updates are basically more of the same, right? There's essentially more of everything. Um, OWL itself, of course, in 2004 was accepted, uh, and there's the Best Practices and Deployment Working Group, which, uh, which now owns the standard. This is actually very important for DARPA. Uh, one of the things we worry about in DARPA is how are we going to transition our technology? That is, when we spend a large number of millions of dollars on a program, and this is, this is particularly true for information systems programs, who owns the stuff at the end? Uh, does it just fall on the floor and, you know, we've built something cool but nothing actually happens on it? Or is there somebody to take this, uh, build on the work that DARPA has started, and, and go forward? Um, and so, so that's why it's absolutely vital to get somebody to own this. And, uh, and, and so our work with the W3 was, uh, was critical with the program, and I want to say they've been an excellent, excellent partner. Um, another thing which they've agreed to do is host uh, something called Ontario. Uh, Ontario is not, it, it is not in a release stage yet, but you can go look at it on the, on the World Wide Web, uh, uh, the W3 page. There's some links to it, I think, from the Semantic Web Services Activity uh, sub-block of the W3C uh, page set. Uh, what we were trying to do here was create a directory of ontologies that could be hosted and um, maintained by a neutral organization. And so here's the example that we were working with. Uh, many of us in DOD um, have trouble, you know, we may build ontologies. In, in fact, this is quite true in the intelligence community. Uh, we build lots of ontologies. And th there is a, a, a problem in making these shareable. The problem is not that the ontologies contain classified or proprietary or um, uh, information that is controlled in some way. It's just that we don't have a way to publish them. Uh, you can't, you know, the CIA is not going to publish their facilities ontology on their homepage. It's just a bureaucratic hill that's not worth climbing. And this is true for commercial companies as well. Um, so what we wanted to do was create a area, or at least a, a, a function which was parallel to what something like Yahoo did in the early days of the web, that is a place where people could go and sort of navigate through and look at a substantial fraction of the ontologies which were available. Um, so, so Ontario's there, it's, uh, it's 
not in a state that I'm happy with yet, but uh, but I think we're getting there. Um, sir, there's a question. What slide are we on with Ontario? I'm missing this. This is uh, slide five, um, and it's the second bullet under the owl. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh, we've got some numbers on OWL. Those numbers are actually ancient at this point. At one point, we were trying to build some crawlers for the web to uh, understand what kind of OWL ontologies were out there and what kind of OWL content was there. Um, that turned out to be a bridge too far. So this is one of the the last uh, the last times we did this. I think these numbers are circa 19 or probably 2003. Uh, and there's been a lot of other stuff happening in OWL. I just pull out something like the workshop that happened on OWL and life sciences that W3 um, hosted a few months ago. Uh, we've also got some, some nice work in reasoning languages. As I say, Swirl was, uh, was released uh, back in May, so it's almost a year old at this point. Uh, we also had the uh, first order logic um, uh, let's say it, it's not really an emendation of Swirl. It's, it's really another language but it's a W3C submission at this point. Uh, we have a, a very nice rules framework out of MIT. If you all know Benjamin Grossoff, he's been working and we've been funding his Sweet Rules framework, which is a, a way of uh, linking description logic programming models with first order models, um, uh, non-montonic models like Prolog and, and some classical expert system stuff uh, in a framework where they can exchange information to the extent that the semantics of the individual languages can allow it. Um, I recommend you all go take a look at that. Uh, the other thing that happened, of course, is that we had uh, the W3 sponsored a rules workshop uh, just a couple of weeks ago at the end of April here in Washington, D.C. This is, a, this is really the first step towards standardizing a rule language and getting out a real working group to, to do that. This has been a goal of mine for a while because while OWL is, uh, is a wonderful standard and I think that it's uh, uh, really advanced the state of the art, um, as all of y'all who've known or who've worked with OWL know, uh, OWL itself is quite weak. Uh, we did it this way to preserve the tractability um, that comes with the description logics that are behind it, but it, but it really is quite technically weak, and you need rules to do things like ontology mapping or uh, uh, there's certain kinds of fairly common logical operations, which uh, which you run into I think fairly quickly uh, when you actually try and implement. Uh, real, real knowledge representation, and so, uh, and so the way to do this in OWL is with a with a rules language, and we have I think a pretty good one. There's also uh, a number of other rule, rules languages in the world, and the job of the uh, of a working group should one actually come out of this workshop will be to try and harmonize those standards and come out with something that uh, that we can all agree on and live with. Um, uh, so as to extend the semantic web even further. Uh, semantic web services. So this was, as I said a little bit about it, this is an area where uh, we've been working pretty hard to try and get some standardization. I think less successfully than certainly in either OWL or, or the, the rules languages, the reasoning languages. Uh, services, of course, is this amazingly hot area in computer science right now. Uh, Service-oriented architectures are all the rage. You know, there's feet of books on this at Barnes & Noble or uh, Amazon has page after page. And uh, uh, in particular, it's, it's actually just, just hard to get 
what I'll say, I'll call mindshare in this area. Although the European Union has completely stepped up to the plate on this. And a gentleman from the EU uh, who's now posted in Vienna, um, you, probably under, you probably know Dieter Fenzel, who is the... Uh, uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, he is, uh, uh, I'll call him a force of nature. Um, <laughs> he, he's uh, uh, just about Mr. Everywhere in Europe. And the EU has been funding to the tune of, last I looked, about 70 million euro, um, a tremendous effort in trying to bring out a semantic web services framework for e-business. And if I could uh, just jump in there, I mean, it's on your slide as well. There is absolutely. an upcoming seminar in Austria, 9th and 10th of June, on semantic web services co-hosted with W3C, which DJ is going to be very heavily involved in. Yes, absolutely, in Innsbruck. Okay. That's correct. Yeah, and so DAML-funded researchers will be represented there. There's several different uh, possible ways to go here. And so the, the interesting question is whether the W3 members uh, feel sufficiently um, uh, strongly that there needs to be a standard here which they can all get behind uh, in order to make it a, a real working group. Um, I think the jury's still out on that, but I think it would be much better for the world if we had a standard. Uh, if I could chip in again there, I mean, we, we've been asked by W3C to do a use case submission for the seminar precisely to go in that direction. And after a bit of research, we realized that there are a number of other governments uh, around the world who are uh, approaching the same sort of uh, issues that we are. So I think we're going to be putting into that two-day workshop quite a substantial use case, which hopefully will strengthen the argument for moving to um, a much, much clearer line in terms of uh, standards and best practices to follow. Well, I wish you uh, all the success, right? I know Dieter reasonably well, and I think that the WISMO work that he's been funding, or pardon me, that he's been directing, is, uh, is, is some pretty tremendous work. Um, and uh, uh, this is clearly the way that the world needs to evolve uh, from, from our current web services into something which, uh, where you can actually string together things that haven't been carefully engineered to be strung together before. Um, Okay, and I'll also uh, put in a plug for uh, an open source website. De so the DARPA demo program has spent, over the course of about five years, we've spent a uh, little less than uh, between 40 and $45 million. These numbers are public record. Um, a lot of this investment has come in the form of software tools. And all of these software tools are open source at this point. Uh, one of my goals as a program manager at DARPA is to really change the world, not just fund intellectual property that remains the intellectual property of, of the, the companies who were uh, lucky enough and smart enough to submit great proposals and get funded. And so if you go to semwebcentral.org, you'll find uh, 84 or so hosted projects. We've had enormous uh, success here with the uh, number of hits and the number of downloads in serving the community, I basically see this as a risk reduction exercise for people who want to get started in the semantic web. We have uh, structured this as a sort of hybrid between a classic open source uh, website like, uh, like SourceForge um, as well as a, a website which would be useful to the neophyte who is just coming to the semantic web. Uh, has uh, maybe works at a company, has read about the semantic web in a trade rag somewhere, 
uh, and has managed to convince her boss to give her a couple of weeks to see what she can find out. So if you go there, you'll find out it's structured around workflows. So for example, if you want to create some OWL content, you need an editor, you need a validator, you need a display uh, system, you probably need some kind of triple store. And you can find all of those there um, organized around the kind of work which you might want to do. Uh, OK, so let's move to uh, slide six, transition slide. Um, from a US Department of Defense point of view, one of our prime transition focuses was always the intelligence community, uh, which uh, you know is a highly secretive community, but which works with information in its rawest form. And so we wanted to make our analysts more effective by giving them semantic tools to work with this information. And we've been amazingly successful there. There's actually a lot of pilots uh, in the intelligence community at different agencies of the intelligence community in the United States, as well as, um, uh, though I don't obviously control these, uh, I have knowledge of several in uh, governments which are in, in Europe. Um, so, so, so anybody who says that the semantic web is, is not gaining traction in government, th there is you know, millions and millions of dollars of evidence that is in, in these pilots that, uh, uh, that that's not true. Um, but, uh, but let's look at the, at least the open side of it, the, the non-classified side. Uh, in the, within the Department of Defense, we've had uh, some, some very nice uptake from the, um, uh, from the Air Force. Uh, from DISA, which is the Defense Information Systems Agency, which is working on uh, trying to uh, harmonize uh, some of the OWL work which they've done in defining military taxonomies with uh, 11179 uh, style metadata repositories. Um, in the Army, uh, the, uh, there is a fair amount of OWL already embedded in the future combat system designs. Uh, some ACTDs, uh, there's some OWL out at the Center for Army Lessons Learned in uh, Fort Leavenworth. Um, bumping up one more, we've got at the federal level, um, Brand Neiman is here and can speak uh, with much more detail than I can on this, but the C federal CIO council chartered a semantic interoperability community of practice. So the, the CIO council is the CIOs of all of the United States cabinet level departments and, and probably some of the other agencies. Um, they have sponsored two conferences on uh, semantic interoperability. Um, then they co-sponsored with DARPA a conference which we call SWANS, Semantic Web Applications for National Security. That was uh, in early April. We had over 300 attendees. We had a trade show of, uh, of, of companies which were out there. The restriction on the trade show was that they had to actually come and show a product which uh, 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 ha was heavily dependent on either OWL or RDF. And uh, that's to, to uh, uh, define the semantic web as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of XML products that they wanted to show. But we restricted it to OWL and RDF. We had 40 of them. Uh, we were actually turning people away for space. So it was, it was actually a tremendous conference um, and uh, 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 I think really helped uh, uh, build the momentum for semantic web in the government. Um, on the commercial side, these numbers I'm sure are dated, uh, but last time I looked, there were about 43 companies in the semantic web services initiative working OWLS, uh, and I counted up 19 commercial OWL implementations, including some from our major IT companies. Um, 
rough metrics. Uh, if you go out onto Amazon and uh, search for books with the phrase uh, semantic web in their title, you get 58 of them. Uh, this is, I think, great. Uh, if you had done this in 2000, you would have gotten none. Um, and look at the National Cancer Institute, Thesaurus. Uh, there's a lot of work in protein chemistry out there at NIH and NIST. And a more unusual uh, uh, use of OWL, which is uh, in the DARPA-XG uh, program, somebody, uh, I don't remember the person's name, said they were interested in OWL for policy. And so this is precisely what we're trying to do in XG, is look at uh, look at OWL as a, both a, a vocabulary and a reasoning engine for uh, RF spectrum allocation. So uh, uh, wonderful uptake there. Um, on slide seven, you'll see the, uh, the sort of at least a piece of the schedule for DARPA. Um, as you can see, we're basically at the end of the program. Uh, there's a couple of uh, final remaining tasks in the program. Uh, one bugaboo of mine is the, the versioning information in OWL. When you start to deploy OWL, one of the first things you see is that uh, these distributed decoupled ontologies, people revise them at all different rates, uh, not just you know, to fix mistakes, to, uh, to, to, to change things, um, uh, to add new knowledge. And so the primitives in OWL 1.0 that they controlled versioning, things like backwards compatible with, uh, never did have a good semantics. And so one of the things we're trying to do in the program is come up with uh, some decent versioning tools which don't solve the entire uh, versioning problem. That's, I think, the, uh, a variant of the general ontology mapping problem, um, but which solve important subsets of it. Uh, and that's, that's some work that's being done by uh, Jeff, he Jeff Heflin at Penn and ISX. And, and you'll see some of that on the SEM Web Central uh, website. Uh, complete Ontario, do some work on trust, uh, deliver OWLS, that specification, complete some of the editors so we can actually get some experience in this stuff. Uh, and of course, we're uh, sending uh, re uh, people to the workshop in, in Innsbruck. Uh, complete the swirl reasoning environment. Um, and a fair amount of outreach stuff, including building an IE plugin, uh, some work in Eclipse. A lot of the semantic web tools to date have been uh, primarily focused at knowledge engineers. So I wanted to make sure that my, uh, my Java programmers and, and, and people who actually have to implement this get some support in this too. And so you'll see uh, the semantic web uh, Swede, the semantic web development environment stuff for Eclipse. Um, and uh, just as a, as a matter of con program continuity, one of the things which I want to do is uh, stabilize and transfer both of these sites to the W3. There's a tremendous amount of information both on my SEMWeb Central site as well as DAML.org, which is the public uh, program site, um, you know, historical documents, uh, presentations, all manner of stuff. And so uh, uh, we're going to try and actually give those to the W3 as well, which uh, among other things, has an interest in history. Okay, slide eight. So that's the end of the uh, sort of rapid overview of the DAML program. DAML is coming to an end in FY05. It's, it's almost at the end. We have uh, seven active contracts left, and they'll all be wrapped up, I expect, by September 1st. Uh, so, so what this means is if we want to continue the United States government, at least the United States Department of Defense, 
investment in fundamental program technologies. Uh, we have to build it. We have to do it under the auspices of another DARPA program um, that is a successor to DAML. And so the second part of this talk is going to be a general overview for the people on this call uh, of how we start new DARPA programs, what are the components of a new DARPA program. Um, and the reason why I want to do this is that for in virtually all cases, DARPA program managers, the people who are responsible for the programs at DARPA, uh, don't bring the program sort of fully born out of their own heads. Uh, I spend about half of my time each day talking to people who come up and come to DARPA uh, with ideas about new programs and try and help them refine these ideas, sometimes provide a little funding to see if there's a, a, a pony in there or not. And this is something which I would like uh, this community to do, because while there's no shortage of ideas about different things that the United States government, that, that is, that DARPA could fund in the future about semantic web, none of these have come to DARPA in a form, no, none of them have come to me, uh, let me put it that way, um, in a form which is easily translatable into a programmatic structure that I can take up to the director and get funded. Uh, and then, you know, take that block of money and start a, a brand new national scale research program. Um, so, so as I as I go through these slides, I think one of the important things to do is to think about if you have an idea about what the next uh, thing that DARPA needs to fund in this area should be, think about how it fits within the context of the of these slides that are laid out in these slides. So, how does a new DARPA program start? Um, the old way, uh, we used to have, uh, DARPA is a very dynamic organization. It changes all the time, and it certainly changes from director to director. Um, it used to be that we had what we called tech offices that kind of did technology-based programs, and then we had systems offices that tried to synthesize the programs out of the technologies which were in the tech bases, and then we had these big program offices uh, which would try and build, uh, you know, complicated things, new aircraft or ships or or vehicles based on all the technology that came out of systems offices. This is a very conventional way to do R&D. I think the, at least ever since I've been here, that model has not really worked. Uh, or pardon me, has, it may work, but is, has not really been characteristic of DARPA. Really what DARPA is about is taking new ideas, ideas from what are called the 6-1 space, if you're familiar with government funding. Uh, we divide uh, money by maturity. So 6.1 would be a, a sort of an, an early stage idea and kind of driving it forward into a prototype. And that prototype has to have certain kinds of capabilities or certain characteristics. First, it has to be military. And this is something which is uh, 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 often not widely understood. But at least for me, right, I am interested in supporting the, def the Defense Department. They are my employer. And they are the ones who are funding this stuff, which means that you have to at least have a story about how your um, uh, idea is going to help make the military more effective at its various tasks. I assume we are on slide nine now. Oh, that's correct, yes. Um, secondly, there's a lot of kind of barriers to new military capability. A lot of these barriers are policy barriers. That is, they're the kinds of things which could be changed by the appropriate person writing the appropriate memo. So that's obviously not DARPA's business. We're, we're really about is trying to remove a technology barrier. That is, if somebody says, why is it that this thing can't be done? Or, or 
some, if, if some military person says, I would like to do this, but I can't, and the reason I can't is because I have no idea how to do it, right? that's where DARPA is. DARPA is about removing a technology barrier. And so the, the other thing which you have to do is you've got to find some specific immature technology which is going to solve this problem. Um, new, you know, typically it's less than five years old. Uh, so next chart. This is chart 10, something we call the Heilmeier Catechism after an ex-director of DARPA named George Heilmeier who formulated a set of fairly deceptively simple questions, right, which any program manager should be able to answer about their program. But it turns out that, you know, actually answering these questions for a program is exceptionally difficult. Um, you know, and they're, they're sort of standard things, right? What are you trying to do now? Um, how is it done today? And, and, and what are the limits of current practice? There's actually very few things which are, at least which I've seen, which are actually new. Typically, we, we do things today, and we just do them at enormous expense, and uh, it, maybe both in dollars and manpower, right? But we do things manually. So, you know, one question is for a new program, um, do you at least have a good baseline? What is happening today, and why is it specifically a technology problem? Then, of course, what's new in your approach? And this is uh, something that is a specific problem with software. Right. So there's plenty of equivalency theorems about software out there. Um, you know, it's very difficult to say for a general for a piece of software that uh, that that you know, if DARPA goes out and spends some money and 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 creates an idea, that you will have something you literally could not do yesterday. All right. So uh, most of the time, you could have done it yesterday. So the the uh, uh, so DARPA has historically shied away from doing things like software methodology programs where the, uh, where the important thing is really a question of, uh, uh, of how you build software as opposed to creating a new capability. Um, the other thing that, that is problematic with software is this metrics issue. One of the things we like to see is a metric of uh, uh, a factor of 10. Right, so somewhere you've got to quantify what it is that you're doing, and come up with a, a reason why your new idea is going to change the metric of interest by a factor of ten. And again, this is actually quite hard in software. Uh, new algorithms can can often do this, um, but uh, but if we're thinking about a follow-on program of the semantic web, what exactly is that metric? Right, what is the thing that changes, and how do you measure that? Uh, DARPA has issues about transition, right? What are the risks and payoffs? Uh, and payoffs. Um, and one of the other things at uh, DARPA that we like to do is uh, be able to look at programs year to year and understand if they are making progress towards their goal, right? And that's you know, if the goal is a metric change, right? If the factor of ten in the end of four years is the goal, then maybe you should see a factor of two or three change at the end of the first year. And so, uh, so we want to be able to have some midterm and final exams in a program. Okay, next chart. Uh, there's other questions. Uh, DARPA's transition strategy. I mentioned how important transition is. Uh, some of this, uh, now that I read this chart, uh, is full of uh, Department of Defense jargon and acronyms. Um, I wouldn't worry about this too much. Th these are these are questions that a program manager has to answer. But one 
one issue for this community is uh, is this question of who owns it, right? So if we build a you know wonderful new I don't know uh, network centric service or semantic service oriented architecture, um, and you uh, you're trying to figure out who in the military is going to benefit from this, and you decide that there's some service which is going to benefit from it, one of the armed services. Uh, you know, are they going to actually take this and develop it any further? It's typically, the uh, the military, in particular for infrastructure type software, doesn't like to maintain it. They don't want to own it, right? What they want to do is buy it from somebody who will maintain it for them. Um, metrics and phases. Uh, let me let me go to um, uh, slide 12 now. Program creation basics. This is what I have to do when I start a new program. Uh, First, you've got to find that new technology idea. You've got to link it to a capability. Um, then we have access to things called seedling funds, which are essentially venture capital funds, typically two, 300K, a couple of contractors, time-limited stuff, to actually see if there is a program in there that is answer all of the Heilmeyer questions that I just went over. What is the program argument, the financials, the milestones, the phases? metrics, all these things, which are essentially not technology questions, but really are programmatic questions. And the output of the seedling, of course, is the new start brief, which you then take to the DARPA director. Um, usually there is a, a sequence of briefings as you and the director come to an understanding of what the program's going to do, or if the director doesn't like it, it will become clear that he doesn't like it, and you should probably go and, and pursue another idea. Um, once the DARPA director gives the OK, then we can actually construct a solicitation, which is uh, these are these, uh, these formal documents which are available on our website, which say that uh, uh, we are accepting proposals in a particular area, give you some idea about the budget and scope. We do a source selection, start awarding contracts, and, and start executing the program in phases. OK, next chart. So I've created a sample, and I've written the word sample all over here. This is, uh, you know, this is not a program at DARPA. Uh, this is uh, simply a, um, a sample idea, or a sample program which I've sort of jammed together uh, for the purposes of illustration. Uh, so, but, but as you can see, what I've tried to do in here is, is, is show all those pieces. What is the main objective of the program, right? And in this case, the, the program has to do with, this is an idea I was toying with for a while, of using semantic web services and combining this with uh, auto-generation of interface technology to be able to automatically tailor interfaces for particular tasks and particular users. Um, and there's a theoretical basis in situation theory that you could use. There's uh, some plan decomposition stuff you'd have to do. There's a mapping task and uh, 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 sort of and, and uh, as key to that mapping task, you have uh, you need things like semantic web services and quality of service work. Um, and there's some metrics in here. Uh, which would show that uh, that we expect if you do this that uh, that you get a higher quality analytic output for a particular user um, and increased agility uh, in response to you, to new missions. So th this, if you look at this, this will sort of show you all of the uh, all the programmatic pieces. Um, so final chart. That's slide 14. Uh, the uh, so 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 I've sort of gone through all the different pieces of a program. 
now I'm going to make a pitch which says that uh, the, the one thing which we need at DARPA in addition to a program is a program manager. Uh, DARPA is a kind of a weird place to work in government. There essentially is no management structure, right? There's a whole bunch of PMs, program managers, about 120, with a common travel agent. Uh, we have no interdependencies. We have no uh, um, uh, particular incentives to collaborate. We're, we're all out there trying to create our own miracles. Uh, there's one office in Arlington, Virginia, which is only about half full most of the time because most of us are on the road. And these jobs are truly national assets. Uh, you know, you, you're really sitting uh, in a privileged position in the national research establishment. And for that reason, they're time limited. Um, they are, there's a, a policy at DARPA that uh, program managers, except in exceptional circumstances, really should only stay about four years. This prevents uh, empire building, this uh, sort of guards against particular kinds of institutional biases, because you don't have the same person there year after year after year, uh, and, and so you end up with a, a set of research programs that really represent that person's taste. We have 25% staff turnover every year because of this. So it's, it's an it's a organization that's continually reinventing itself. And so the, the final pitch is um, that, that what we would need for a new semantic web program is another PM. I am actually running up against the end of my four years at DARPA, uh, and I will be leaving DARPA as a, as a program manager um, at the end of this month. The, uh, right now, there is no program manager at DARPA who is uh, familiar enough with the semantic web in order to link this to their future. It is, if you're a program manager, having a program is a tremendously psychologically important thing. It means that you've got to take it, nurture it, live it, go up and defend it, uh, you know, push it every chance you get. It's a very, very intense thing. And so most program managers don't have a lot of programs, and they tend to do them only in their areas of expertise. So for a new semantic web program at DARPA, we need a new program manager. Um, and uh, uh, DARPA is always looking. Uh, PMs come from all different walks of life. We have uh, academics on leave, uh, industry people that I came from industry, uh, people out of the government via IPA systems, military officers are here. The major uh, thing is you have to be a US citizen with the ability to hold a clearance. And of course, you've got to be able to uh, uh, you know, work hard, travel extensively, and and uh, and change the world. So, uh, if you uh, if any of this sounds attractive to you, um, uh, you can talk to me offline. Or uh, DARPA has its annual conference called DARPA Tech. Um, in uh, I believe this year it's in um, Anaheim, California, uh, probably in August. And uh, uh, you could also get a taste there of what it's like to be a program manager at DARPA. Okay, the, I, I've spoken Can enough, and I believe I've used my time. Contact, uh, contact number to talk to you offline. Uh, my telephone number is area code 703-526-6623, and my email address is... Uh, we have got your email address and your bio page as well as somewhere uh, in the questions session on this session page. So oh, fantastic. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll note that the email address which I supplied, which is a DARPA.mil email address, 
uh, is only active uh, until the end of the month when I will leave. Okay, I'm through. Guys, want to contact Mark? Catch him with this email address. Thank you very much, Mark. That is wonderful, especially for laymen like myself uh, to gain a peek into how this uh, national scale uh, futures mechanisms uh, work. And, and this is definitely very eye-opening for us. Uh, we are opening the floor to questions and discussions. Uh, I can't believe I've been that thorough. Oh. <laughs> well, hey, sir, this is uh, Captain Gorner calling from Fort Monroe. Okay. Yes, sir. I do have one question, not related to the uh, to the demo, but I just left off as an intern, and I was trying to get the the PM that's uh, responsible for the RFK, RKF again, the Rapid Knowledge Formation. Yes, I know that program. Uh, so that's no longer a current program at DARPA. That is. program is all, all wrapped up. But I can give you the, uh, the, the name of the PM which was running it. Okay. Uh, it was a gentleman named Murray Burke. Uh, he was actually my predecessor on the DAML program. Okay. Uh, and his email address is mburke, B-U-R-K-E, at snap, S-N-A-P, dot org. Mark, this is Dwayne Nichol from Adobe Systems. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to apologize. My phone battery may die any second. Um, when you mentioned the Internet as a knowledge source, I, I just made an assumption that you're uh, referring to knowledge source in the context of the Blackboard AI pattern of days gone by. Um. To a first approximation, yeah. Okay. Uh, there, I, so there, there's there's some detail here, but but that's that's. Yeah, I, I can yeah I concur with that. Um, the um, the uh, issue of the uh, the tuple spaces that uh, in conjunction with the the knowledge source and hypothesis evaluation being a driver for how you want would want to arrange a view of the semantic web, so you could actually. For instance, if you had uh, an event X happen and you wanted to find out what other events may be related to that uh, by looking at what items may be related to that in the uh, from the null source, you could then traverse back down to the instance level. Was that a, a consideration when you were working on it? Uh, let's see. I don't want to answer that. So early early on, we had some people who pushed some of the uh, some of the trip. I guess tuple space ideas, uh, in particular from the Linda community. Um, and of course, if you look at RDF, right, the underlying semantics is really a graph model. Yeah. Uh, and so you can you can do the sorts of things which you suggested. Uh, so I, I'll call it a theoretical um, uh, thread through the program, though it's not one that has been ever incredibly explicit. Uh, but but I mean, you know, in some ways, a lot of problems are equivalent. Right, and what the what the tuple space people have been doing, and in particular some of the algorithms which they have to do the traversals of the space, is um, are certainly uh, algorithms which have been used uh, um, as inspiration in different kinds of implementations. Cool. Does, does that answer your question? 
Yeah, yeah, it makes it, it makes it very clear. Now I'm working on a very similar model. It's kind of a uh, specialization of the the uh, academic work done on the IEEE uh, computational intelligence models, but throwing aspects of the uh, causality event programming from Stanford University that David Luckham's working on. Just mm. to build a, uh, a more complete model. Oh, fantastic. I can send it to you if you're interested in taking <laughs> Sure, sure, send it out. Actually, as I, as I sort of wind down as a program manager, I find that uh, the usual flood of 300 emails a day is starting to tail off, and it's uh, really quite refreshing. So I actually have some time to read stuff. <laughs> so send it on. Okay, so, yeah, this is Pat Cassidy. Uh, yes. And I, I um, had a question uh, as to whether in, in the uh, time you were a uh, manager, whether the question of a standard upper ontology was ever broached uh, among the, the people that you talked to. Oh, all the time. All uh, the time. All the time. Uh, and how was it viewed? Well... So you're with MITRE, right? I am now. Yeah. So uh, DOD has always had this uh, um, drive towards centralization, I'd say. You know, they tend to behave like an organization which, is, uh, uh, which has a classic command and control model. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, work in various pilots. And if you're working with Leo Oberst, you'll be able to find out about some of these pilots which involve upper ontologies at various levels. Um, I, I, I don't I'm think that there's a... <laughs> yeah. Adam, you're on the phone, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so you're, you're probably connected into this as well. Um, I don't see that DOD is going to actually come up with a Department of Defense uh, sort of unified recommended upper ontology. I think there's there might be four or five of them. There may be agency specific or task specific. There may be a lot of them, uh, but I don't I don't currently predict that there will be one. Do you understand why there's resistance? I mean, it, uh, the the um, prima facie de facto obvious case would be that if you want to communicate, you speak the same language, and the only way to define your language is uh, for a computer is with, is with uh, upper ontology. So uh, what, what is the counter-argument? I've never understood this. Well, I guess from my point of view, the counter-argument is that we can get uh, the effect of having an upper ontology simply by mapping a number of lower ontologies together. I think right? it's And map them with rules. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that it's quite impossible, and I'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you about that. Um, love to hear it because I'm actually sort of on the on on the uh, on the rule side, right? In that the pilots which I have seen, which have involved multiple ontologies, have not actually required an upper ontology. Uh, what they end up doing yeah, is, uh, is being good. able to map different ontologies together, uh, which support different kinds of of workflows using right. rules languages like Swirl. Right, right. Uh, I, I, the, the examples I've seen use extremely limited reasoning, uh, and in general, with words that just what everybody can agree upon, almost everybody, like a person, except that, in fact, 
everybody can't agree upon it because if you start asking, uh, like, whether is a dead person qualified as a person, you start looking at blank, getting blank stares. I mean, there are really serious issues that people who think they know that the, how they can map just haven't even thought about. Um, okay. Uh, well, well, what what has been true about the pilots that I've seen so far is that there hasn't yet been a sufficiently compelling use case to drive the adoption of an upper ontology. And I am frankly fearful of the amount of bureaucratic work it would take to actually come up with such a thing that would be, uh, that would be acceptable to, uh, you know, to all of the, the far-flung DOD operations and all of the agencies from logistics to uh, finance to back office operations to uh, uh, intelligence, you know, it's just, it's just huge. Uh, yeah, I, I've taken time to study the issue. I think it's manageable, but it does take some money. The problem is there's been no money except for the, um, the funding of the SUMO. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a funding issue. I think it's an issue of whether the bureaucracy can actually adopt one. Suppose we created one. Heck, Adam has one. The problem is not. I, I, you know, you could tweak it and you could tweak it. The problem is actually getting the entire DOD to do something. And You're quite right, and that takes money too. Uh, and and, and like, uh, I, I can give you specifics of why. Uh, and basically, the big problem is this: if you want people to uh, coordinate their work uh, in, in 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 a way that uh, allows them to have you know common understanding of concepts and how individual terms may map to uh, abstract concepts, um, they need the time. And the problem with the upper ontology is that there just has not been the time. And and people who are paid to do other things are obliged to do other things. And the tiny little fragments of time that people have been able to pull apart and devote to this issue has just been woefully inadequate for the complexity of the issue. Uh, well, and, let, let and, me put it and, this way. They do need time. I mean, people have to have um, uh, allowed time, dedicated time, paid time to do the work. That, that's, but but let me, let me put it this way, right? DARPA could fund all kinds of upper ontology work. Um, DARPA, somebody has to own this and somebody has to agree to it. And so what you have to come up with is a sufficiently compelling use case that says here is a new military capability that absolutely cannot be done in any other way but with an upper ontology. If you can find that, let's talk. But so far, the use cases which we've come up with have not been that way. And, you know, the DOD is used to operating in a decentralized fashion for a lot of this stuff. And so, so one of the things that, uh, that is easier bureaucratically to do is to, uh, you know, if you want to effect change, is to not challenge that uh, uh, particular cultural tenant. Um. The, I think the, the issue there uh, is that people want to maintain their own terminologies, and that's not a problem. I think one of the biggest difficulties with the, the whole concept of ontology is that people confuse it with a, a controlled terminology, and it's not. The, the ontology is a conceptual structure, and each of these concepts can be mapped to one or any number of terms, and it, this is a big misunderstanding which has made people reluctant to, to talk about uh, coordinating. And, uh, but in order to even educate the people who are doing these things, uh, you need time. Well, program. let's take it offline, because I, I have not seen, you know, in the way that I have described the DARPA program, 
right in the last slides. I don't see a no, I don't see a program there, but I'm willing to be educated um, because. Yeah. Uh, but we should probably take it offline. In those terms, it may be right. Uh, be, because those are the terms under which DARPA funds things, right? Those are the terms. Yeah, I noticed from a PDM here. I noticed from a recent uh, MITRE presentation uh, out of one of uh, Brand Eamon and Susan Turnbull's workshop. Uh, they had sort of. Uh, define a term called a super domain ontology. And uh, a lot of what you purported, uh, Mark, uh, applies to the super domain ontology, but, but if, uh, Adam would probably agree that, I mean, there are still elements in a common upper ontology that are, are worthwhile. Like, I mean, the, the reason why we have mathematics is, I mean, people agreed on how to write numbers. Uh, and then I guess if we go sufficiently uh, low level, uh, we should arrive at certain things that, that we, we need people to agree upon. Well, that's all true. But, you know, so, but, but at least here's my view, right, which is that we have had now a large number of successful pilots in DOD um, and, and, in fact, tremendously successful work outside. Of, DOD is what I'm most familiar with, but I also keep track of what's going on in the commercial world and in the, the life sciences world, the pharma world, the chemistry world. I mean, there's tremendous success out there, right, using OWL without an upper ontology. And so, so this is, while, while theoretically there is a, a certain cleanliness argument here, right, you know, one of the things you have to do is you have to show, right, what is the new thing that you get with an upper ontology, and is it worth the sort of uh, uh, the difficulty involved in in getting there, given that it looks like there are tremendously interesting operational problems which can be solved without it. The um, the what you get is you get the ability to do um, conceptual matching and inferencing. In general, what I've seen so far depends upon identity of words. As I say, people, you, we all know people use words in different senses. And, and without a common defining vocabulary, there is no possibility of knowing whether any two people are using a word in the same sense. Now, if you're using very common words like automobile and the inferencing you're doing doesn't really matter to you, whether, for example, somebody defines an automobile as three wheels or somebody defines an automobile as, as absolutely must having four wheels, if the problems you're dealing with don't depend upon the details of the definition, yes, you can do things. There's no question you can do useful things. But you're asking, what can you do with, uh, with the uh, upper ontology? You can't do that. But you can do real inferencing. And, and not just match words. No, no. actually, my question is not that one, because I'm aware of the logic framework behind it, and, I'm, and I know what your argument is about terminolo terminology versus concepts. The question is not, is, is not what can you do. The question is what operational problem can you solve, right? That's the question for something like MITRE, right? Is what operational problem gets an order of magnitude better because we have this? So Mark, um, this is Adam. I mean, my suggestion for the operational problem, I mean, maybe it's a little bit broad, but that one of the, the challenges that, that we face today in software interoperability is that interoperability has to be very tightly scripted. Okay? And 
one of the promises of a large upper ontology is that it extends the vocabulary to a point that begins to approach the richness of human communication. And that enables, I think, a whole host of potential applications such as real service discovery that aren't in, in a real practical sense possible unless you have both one, a large, a very large vocabulary and, and a large shared vocabulary where you have precise definition of meaning that's more than just, you know, a taxonomy or a type structure, but the sort of, uh, you know, full formal definitions that Pat has been alluding to. Well, I, I, so, so I've tried to push this line for a while um, and gotten very little traction on it. Uh, so, and I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because the experiments that people have done with dynamic software composition have, none of the ones which I'm aware of, right, have, have had as, as a formal precondition a large upper ontology. You know, they've had smaller ontologies. You know, we've got to get something like time in or effects or causality or uh, uh, essentially process-oriented kinds of formalisms. But it's been, you know, the kinds of ontologies that people have used have been, you know, frankly, not so big. And, so, and, and there have been some kind of, there have been some interesting and powerful results that have come out of this. So again, the question is not, I think, you know, whether you need some kind of ontology interlingua or at least network of rules which allows you to get inferencing off the ground between multiple different ontologies. And sure, we need all that. But the, but the thing that, 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 that is, I think the jury is still out on is whether you need one big one, right, that everybody signs up to. This is well, Wayne. Uh, I've got a, a comment on that. The existence of successful applications that use small-scale ontologies would somehow be evidence against the 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 great leveraging effects of having a larger uh, ontology available to do you know more extensive sorts of work. I mean, there there are good examples of people doing interesting things with small systems. But why why would we then extrapolate from that and say it, that there wouldn't be greater leverage from having a larger ontology available? Well, I mean, uh, th th that's why it all turns that turns into the operational problem. Right? Because uh, because one of the things that DARPA is going to try and do programmatically always right is understand you know if we spend the dollars right for a large uh, you know a large effort and you know try and do the kind of bureaucratic hair pulling that that we need to do to get get one of the, these things going right do we get a payoff that 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 the DoD actually cares about yeah so and that argument for whatever reason, has never been successfully made here. So that's interesting. Given the amount of money that's been put towards things like ontology mapping, and given that very little money would actually have to be put towards creating the, the upper ontology, I mean, that sort of bureaucracy isn't necessary. I mean, we could, as you say, have you know a number of, of upper ontologies, and there are you know three that have already been built or that are mm -hmm. uh, you know in considerable use, and so. In my mind, you know, where, where I disagree with Pat a little bit is, I think, and I think you're right. You know, we don't need a lot of new money going to this. We just need a sort of institutional will uh, to try this stuff. And I think there's a lot of maybe, I guess, I would say, academic resistance against this because it means that a lot of issues that people have a lot of fun working with, such as coming up with a new ontology of time, 
uh, would no longer be necessary if, if there were sort of institutional bias towards uh, knowledge reuse as opposed to knowledge reinvention? Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think it's possible, but, uh, but as I say, to uh, in order to for DARPA to fund it, right, programmatically, uh, we have to be able to answer all the questions, and we have to be able to find that operational capability that is going to result from this, plus the uh, uh, the, play, the, the the transition, right, the the, the organization who owns it. Uh, and which is going to reap the benefits of all of DARPA's investment. Um, and, that, and so far, that hasn't been done. Now, I'd, I'd, you know, we, without getting too far into the weeds here, you know, I'd, again, I'd, I'd, I'd welcome sort of more dialogue with you on this. Uh, but uh, uh, but so far, we've just never been able to make all the pieces come together and as, as as a program and uh, and do this. It's not a question of money, right? It's a question of where's the I where's the payoff? Of money. Oh, no, nah, it's not. We, get, you know, DARPA spends enormous amounts of money on things. No, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, you have to fund the program. In 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 the ten year history since, to my knowledge, the first serious uh, proposal for getting a significant community together to develop a widely accepted common upper ontology uh, that was back around 1994 or so. Since that time, there's been enormous amounts of money spent. And, and we're talking about like something in the order of three to five million dollars to make serious progress, and vastly more than that has been wasted because we haven't had such an ontology. And the question is, why isn't it going to be tried? Now you may be skeptical it will succeed, but remember, DARPA is high risk, high payoff. The payoff is enormous. Uh, but but it I'll, has. I'll, it I'll, is. Answer your, I'll answer your question one way. Okay, the the estimates that were made for. Uh, in inefficiency due to lack of computer interoperability are over $100 billion. Now, probably that's conservative. Now, if the federal government is one-third of the total or one-quarter of the total GNP, then just by extrapolation within the federal government, the waste is probably of the order of $25 billion plus per year, $25 billion per year. Now, maybe DARPA doesn't care about wasting money. Maybe there are specific, I mean, if you're saying you must have specific operational capabilities and wasting money is not an issue, Maybe, maybe, maybe it's hard. You know, I, I can't prove that that by having a common upper ontology, I can't do the same thing I can do by spending a hundred times as much money and having a hundred uh, different uh, databases map to each other individually instead of mapping to a single one. No, no, it can be done. It's just vastly more expensive, wasteful, and time-consuming. Well, well, look. Um all I'll say is this, uh, and 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 I, I I think we probably we mind this to the. To, to the limit of mining in this telephone conversation. Uh, DARPA is always receptive to new program proposals. This program, a program proposal around this has not been successfully presented to DARPA. That is not an argument that it cannot be successfully presented in the future. Um, and so I'd, I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to work with you to find, figure out what the what all the programmatics are to actually come together with a new program. That is how we would answer all of the Heilmeyer questions uh, for this for this type of thing. Um, and and I would I would I would say the, the, the final thing, which is at DARPA there is no program without a program manager. And uh, um, and so we would have to find somebody from this community who would want to come to DARPA to do this. Right? Come to DARPA and make this their work for the next three or four years. And uh, and without that, we're not going to have a program, no matter how good an idea it is. So, 
so those are the two things, and I'd be more than happy to work with you on this. I, I'm always on the lookout for good ideas. So, Brand, Brand, you were going to say something? Is Brand still on? I, I think it was Dwayne, actually. Oh, Dwayne, sorry. Yeah, I, wa I wanted to just ask, like, one of the things that uh, it's become uh, immensely beneficial for the people that I've been working with to consider is the aspect of context to solve some of these problems of disagreement on the, you know, the upper-level ontologies. And I'm not talking the upper level as in uh, SUMO, which I really admire as a great piece of work and think it's, it, it definitely has a place in the future of ontology work. But I mean, in, you know, if somebody comes up and says, okay, I'm building an ontology to do this specific set of problems, and here's its area of applicability, um, there's always the issue of, you know, like the, the one somebody brought up is, when is a human being a human being? Uh, when they are dead, are they still a human being? And it really depends on the context and the aspect of, you know, who is asking the question or who is evaluating that question. So to the person who you know, may have a military person on payroll until the end of the month, even though they are deceased, that is still a person in some regards to the other people who have other sets of directives that may not no longer be considered a human being. So somebody who's looking at that human being as a, uh, an operational resource in a battlefield or a theater of operation, it may not be anymore um, someone they would count as a resource. So this really brings into the the aspect of, uh, you know, in defining some of these things from an ontological perspective and a semantic perspective, the context all of a sudden becomes a very powerful influencer of the definition of the core element of that ontology um, based on a number of context qualifiers. Uh, the role and the process of which you're making the uh, analysis is definitely a very key aspect. Uh, we started using this stuff in electronic business, uh, and it, it seems to really be more and more applicable to a lot of these spaces. Uh, my question um, would be, have you in your work at DARPA considered or ever delved into this aspect? Because I've seen very limited papers on context ontologies uh, existing. Uh Yes, we have, uh, but uh, that part of the work, sure. In fact, uh, what can I say? So there is a sort of specific example of the use of context. Um, unfortunately, we've done it in partnership with an intelligence agency, and so I can't say very much about it. That's probably one of the same projects that I've worked on. I'm sorry? And it may be the same people that we're talking about. Yeah, uh, but but... You know, context is an enormous question in the in the in intelligence community. There's not a, uh, shall we say, you know, we don't we don't ex have a status of, of metaphysical realism, right? Every analyst comes out with their own way of thinking about things and their own way of asking questions and their own preconceived assumptions, and there's actually value in that. And so the question is, how do you instead of standardize what they should be thinking, how do you accept what they are thinking? And so we've used context exactly. ontology for that. That's uh, from, a, from an Einstein quote. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when solving a problem, you must not use the same type of thinking that you did when you created the problem. The problem seems to be created that everybody thinks the same way I do about this thing in my context. Mm -hmm. And that's simply not true. And, and having the context ontology as a layer over top of an 
at least what we've been able to show is that that seems to be a promising system architecture for a couple of uh, different kinds of analytic tasks, and that we can measure the impact of this in terms of things like uh, 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 speed to solution of a particular kind of inference. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I actually I agree with that. Great. Uh, thank you very much, Mark, for fielding all the questions. I mean, just to to uh, clarify a point: Ontolog is chartered to work on uh, application of both formal and informal ontologies. We have started from the e-business standards uh, vantage point when we spun off from UBL and more recently uh, after joining forces with uh, Sykov and uh, Stanford Medical Informatics uh, sort of make a pursuit on maybe making recommendations to the National Health Information Network. Uh, but, but we are about application and obviously there are inclinations towards a standard upper ontology and uh, we are not sort of a upper ontology community as such. Uh, that is IEEE SUO. Uh, so from that light, uh, in that light, uh, we have been asking ourselves that we should have been doing maybe at least uh, work more closely with the OWL community, which we haven't done uh, a very good job how maybe Ontolog and the OWL community could maybe do some work together? Um, I mean, the, the well, so DUP is getting out of the business right now of Semantic Web, uh, and we will be out of the business until a new program manager comes along. Uh, who will who has the you know the gumption and the determination to create a new semantic web program you know get it past the director get it funded and 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 start to uh, bring the research community together around a new a new set of problems uh, but right now DARPA is getting out of that business and uh, uh, so so there's no particular way you can work with DARPA, right, that is really outside of working, as I say, DARPA really is 120 program managers with a travel agent. The way you work with DARPA is you work with a program manager, right, and you convince that program manager that your idea is important and that there's a mutual benefit to to, uh, uh, to doing something. So, so I think that the way you get involved in the OWL community is you bypass DARPA, right? I mean, the... the the mark of a successful DARPA program is that the program manager has lost control, right? And I have lost control of this technology. This technology, the OWL technology is just going everywhere. Now, there's a lot of, you know, especially in the theoretical community, uh, people who have issues with OWL, and, and some of them are legitimate, and, and, and some of them are their own pet rocks. But, uh, uh, but, but the fact is that I, and that I think that, uh, that OWL itself has has been a tremendous step forward, and so there is an OWL community here. I would probably uh, recommend that you, if you want to change the world, uh, one of the ways that the world get changed these days is through economic forces. So I would link up with companies who actually have, uh, uh, you know, real profit and loss kinds of kinds of metrics on whether this technology can actually bring something to the table that is that is new and important and can't be done in another way. 
and do that. And there's tons of companies that are out there. You know, just just Google on Semantic Web, and you'll see them all. And if you can get more, so so the way that Ontolog and, and the Owl community can 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 be together, I think is uh, is if you can sort of work with the agents of change for Owl. And and I believe that in the future these agents are going to be uh, uh, the the, the, the the corporate world, the the world that uh, the DoD generally contracts with, from my own particular knothole, and the world that will go and change the change the space in which the United States government operates in, because we buy a ton of stuff, right? We buy it from companies, they sell it to us, they support it, right? And that's um, and that's uh, that's who I would start looking at first. Thank you. Oh. I just like to just, just like to make one last comment that say uh, thank you for all the work you've done on Dabble and Owl. It's uh, been uh, I would say uh, in spite of how enthusiastic you've been about all the success, I agree it has been very successful and uh, it, 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 in, in that it's become a, a worldwide standard and uh, standards any reasonable standard is better than none. And those people who think that the owl can be improved, I, I'm, I'm included with them, will be working to try to improve it. But meanwhile, it, it's been a great job. Thank you. Oh. Well, thank that. you. That, 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 that brings up, owl is not done. Owl version 1 is done. But the Semantic Web Best Practices and Deployment Working Group uh, will be charged with owl version 2, and uh, there would be a spot to, uh, to take owl and make it better. Right. Uh, we've got Evan uh, Wallace. Evan, you you are from that group, right? Well, maybe he dropped off. Yeah, that's well, getting late. Uh, uh, quick question. Just Mark just one question here, Peter Peter Brown here in Vienna. Um, is the European Commission, particularly the sort of partner services that have been working on oil and together with you for for the development of our, are they aware of this sort of situation of uh, the project management? Uh, sort of coming to an end. I mean, have they, uh, do they have other interlocutors in place in, in DARPA that they're going to continue working with, or is that something we should flag up? Uh, I don't believe so. So I was at the European Semantic Web uh, Symposium, and it was last year sometime, um, that was, uh, I guess, funded out of Y'all's Framework 6 initiative, and uh, uh, the S what I, I think it was called SDK. Right? And and I briefed uh, this. You know, you could, I can sort of see this coming, right? That uh, that DARPA needs a program manager. DARPA is a very program management, personality-driven organization. If you don't have a program manager, you don't have a program. Um, at the time, you know, we had a year, and I was more hopeful about finding one. But uh, but so far, you know, a lot of people have a lot of great ideas, but but it's uh, has been I have been unsuccessful in convincing uh, somebody to actually come here and make it happen. Um, so uh, it, yes, it's certainly an issue which uh, uh, the EU should be made aware of. On the other hand, um, you know, I'm, I'm just absolutely excited about the work that the EU is doing. And, uh, and, uh, I, and I think that, uh, um, you know, in some ways, if, if it is now time for Europe to take a lead on this, then, then uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sit back and watch it run. <laughs> But, but that is the situation at DARPA. Okay, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Was it Bob Smith who wanted to put in a question to? 
Well, I just did a uh, search on TRL and DARPA and got about 5,000 uh, hits. Okay. And I'm uh, kind of intrigued. Uh, is there a formal effort to uh, get 10x metrics? Uh, that, that's the rule of thumb. I mean, we, we don't, you know, that, that just tells you how, how hard a problem is. Right. If you can take, if you quantify a problem by, you know, here's a number that measures it, and you say, well, this technology can take this number and and change it, uh, then, uh, 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 you know, if it changes it by a factor of 1.2, you know, some kind of incremental change, well, then that may be a, something which is not as much in DARPA's purview. But DARPA, there's a lot of rhetoric around DARPA. DARPA is about the revolution. Okay, so that's a that's a wonderful word, right. right? But what is a revolution? And this is sort of a nice, handy way of defining it: is taking a metric and moving that decimal point. How much study has there been of the TRL metric? That's well, TRL. So for those of you on the call, uh, TRL's technology readiness level. That's a sort of term inside the government research uh, thing uh, establishment. Uh, I mean, we look at all kinds of TRLs, but we typically, you know, concentrate our work in the lower ones. Uh, also, TRLs don't work very well for, if you've looked at the definitions, they, they aren't particularly applicable to software. Right. But, but we don't, I mean, we're not driven by TRLs. We're driven by changing the world, right? And that's, and, and the, the, the best way to define change is with a number you can measure. And the General Accounting Office has done some effort to metric, uh, build a metric around uh, SEI and uh, organizational readiness, organizational maturity levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not familiar with it. Okay, that's... That's all my... Uh, curiosity extends at this point. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Yeah, I'm actually going to have to go now. Uh, it's, uh, I've got another meeting coming up. But I, I want to say, um, you know, thank you to, to Peter for inviting me and and really reemphasize uh, this point that, that the best thing, the number one thing that the ontologue community or, in fact, any of the ontology engineering community can do at this point to ensure continued United States government funding in this area is for somebody to step up and say, I want to come to DARPA for a couple of years and, and manage this effort and, and essentially be the point person for the DOD on this effort. That person has, has not been found. And without that person, you know, it's not going to happen. And so, uh, so that's that's the number one thing that can that can happen. I have, and if you, if for some reason anybody on this telephone call thinks that that'd be an interesting way to to, to spend their own time, uh, please call me or contact me offline. Um, I came uh, I came here from uh, uh, I think a, a pretty neat career at, at the Boeing company, um, and let me tell you, it has been so worth it. It, it, this is the kind of education, the kind of experience that money absolutely cannot buy. It is the most tremendous thing you will ever do in your life. And uh, 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 and so I invite you all to, to think hard about it. And, uh, uh, and thanks very much. Well, thank thank you. you very much, Mark. And on behalf of the community, I mean, it, it's been such a...
we mentioned the session is being recorded and the uh, MP3 file will be posted in a few hours. And uh, thank you very much once again and good luck to you on any endeavor you will be pursuing. And I, I was hoping to find out what your invitation to the ontolog community is and that is just a wonderful uh, invitation that you gave us. Thank you very much. You bet. Signing off.